Welcome to Business Reporter's Future of Global Payments series in partnership with Currency, the global fintech helping businesses with their payments. Now, many business leaders dream of scaling globally, but the payments landscape can be so complex that many give up on that ambition before they've even begun. And that is just one of the challenges facing companies. In this episode, we'll be exploring the hidden costs to businesses of scaling globally, some of the solutions, and what setting up a payments infrastructure can do for your company. I'm joined again by Chief Marketing Officer Sam Coyne of Currency. Sam, welcome back. Thank you very much for joining us. I mentioned there at the start, the payments landscape can be so complex that many give up on that ambition before they've even begun. Explain to me the payments landscape and what are the stumbling blocks where companies do just down tools and give up? Sure, and it's, it's great to be back here with you again, Georgie, for another conversation. Um, you know, I would say that for the typical merchant that just wants to sell online in, in their own country, right, in their domestic market, the payments landscape is actually not that complex. And the reason for that is you can technically do everything that you need to do from a payment acceptance perspective, by which I mean providing your customers with an ability to pay you for the product or service that they're getting by usually dealing with a, a single provider, a payment gateway. Well-known examples are companies like Stripe, Adyen, Checkout.com, Square, et cetera. You know, some of these companies provide physical point-of-sale terminals that you'll see when you're in a store and using your card, and, and they'll also provide the online equivalent, which is known as the payment gateway. So setting up a merchant account with one of these providers and integrating it with your online store is, relatively speaking, fairly straightforward. It can get perhaps a little more complex if you want to offer your customers the full breadth of all possible payment acceptance options, and by which I mean cards, of course, bank transfers, digital wallets, buy now, pay later, which has become very popular in the last two or three years, and, and perhaps even crypto, right? So if you would like to offer your customers all of those options, you are maybe going to need to engage the services of two or even three payment gateway providers, because not all are, are going to do everything. But I will say that, you know, as you go down that, that, that list of, of payment options, you're really getting into diminishing returns. For the majority of merchants, it's not really something they need to be concerned about. Certainly not uh, at most scales that most people are operating at. Like if you're if you're offering, uh, I would say these days cards and wallet acceptance, right. you're you're covering 80, 90 percent of of your possible use case. Now, where things do get more complicated is if you start selling internationally in in foreign markets, because now you're getting into the realm of cross-border payments, foreign exchange. And what that can mean for your business is if I step back for a second and we take like a typical company that's just been uh, selling in one market, they're going to have an understanding of what their margins are like, right? They know if they sell uh, a certain amount more of their product in their given market, it'll have a given effect on their top line revenue and their cost of sales. And they'll be able to project what their margins will be. If you start selling internationally, those calculations become vastly more complex, mm. not only in the obvious ways like increased cost of logistics and distribution, but also increased payment processing costs. Uh, and those can add up. They can add up really quickly and be quite punitive if you don't take some steps in advance to, to mitigate against them. Um, 
So maybe I'll pause there because that's actually perhaps a lot of information in one go. That um, is a lot of information. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've spoken about the, the costs to scale globally. You spoke about foreign exchange and cross-border companies. How do they work? Let's go back to, I guess, basics here. You know, what is an FX spread? An FX spread. Yeah, this is definitely something that should be on the mind of, of any business that is selling overseas, not even just e-commerce businesses, which is kind of what our, a lot of our focus is on, but really any kind of cross-border trading company, import, export, even, even consulting companies providing services on a global basis digitally need to, be, need to be aware of this. So I suppose to explain an FX spread, let's first quickly cover what FX is and how that market functions. So foreign exchange is a market like any other. It has buyers, uh, sellers, and dealers, right? It's a global decentralized market. Uh, and it's by far the largest market in the world by trading volume, more than $6 trillion a day. So it's vastly larger than, than any other market by volume. Now, the main participants in the foreign exchange market are the major international banks, who are also the primary dealers for, for instance, smaller banks. And so that is an almost behind the scenes market called the interbank market. And that is where the, if you like, the basis for pricing emerges, right? So currencies always trade in pairs. So the market, rather than determining an absolute value for a currency, it determines relative values for currency pairs, right? And the value of any given currency or currency pairing is influenced by a whole range of factors, principally supply and demand, but also things like inflation, uh, interest rates, and the economic health and political stability of the nation behind a given currency. So because of this, exchange rates are constantly fluctuating. And as a result of that, we need some sort of fixed point to base things off. And so this is where something that's known as the mid-market exchange rate emerges from. And that very simply is the midpoint between the bids in the buy and sell prices in the foreign exchange market. The mid-market rate is, is something that's calculated live. For anybody listening, if you want to know what the mid-market rate is, just pull out your phone and go to Google or Yahoo Finance or XE.com or any of these and look up any currency pairing. And what you'll see there, that feed, that's the mid-market rate. And I think a lot of people have encountered the example of like going to the airport uh, to go on a holiday and they want to you know, sell some of their cash, whether they're holding pounds or dollars or something else and, and buy another currency. And you know, the teller will give them a rate and they'll say there how much they're going to get for selling their currency. And then they'll check it against Google and it's always wildly different. And that's the spread. That's where you're losing your money. So the spread is the difference between the mid-market rate, which your foreign exchange dealer, your foreign exchange broker is getting in the foreign exchange market, and then the rate that they're passing on to you over the counter. Um, the difference between those two rates is the spread. The reason it's important to understand that is in FX, for buyers of FX services in a, in a retail and commercial sense, usually the focus is on the commission that they're paying. And by the commission, I mean what the provider is charging you as a percentage of the transaction. And this is always very obvious and upfront, right? If we go back to our example of like a tourist at the airport, the commission is typically say 1%, maybe 1.5% of the amount being exchanged. And so that's kind of what you think, that's what I'm paying, I'm paying 1%. In reality, you're paying that plus whatever the spread is and the spread is much more difficult to calculate. And so as a result, that's actually where, for the most part, a lot of the margin is baked in. And that's what accounts for that huge difference mm. between what you're being quoted 
and what you're seeing online. That, that's basically the spread. So that's definitely, you know, again, from the perspective of a retail user, of, of a tourist, this is not hugely important. It's not going to have a big impact on your life if this is something you're doing two or three times a year. Uh, but if you're a business and you're dealing in multiple currencies every day and you're selling in five different markets and you're sourcing in three different markets, this really matters to you. Not only because uh, you can be losing a lot of money if you're not getting a good spread, or ideally you're getting the mid-market rate itself and just paying the commission, but also the currency fluctuations themselves can be very, can be very punitive. And that's where you know, we start to get into things like FX futures contracts, where you take out a contract with a, with a specialist provider uh, and you agree to buy a particular currency at a set price in the future. And you're doing that to basically protect yourself uh, against the risk of a fluctuation in the currencies. I mean, I would say that the, the FX market is not hugely complicated, but it is one of those things where if you don't have some awareness of it, it can kind of bite you as a business owner in terms of you'll incur a lot of, a lot of costs you don't necessarily need to. Sam, it seems listening to you that there's a, there's a lot of areas that are going to bite you if you don't do your homework. Yeah, I can sort of illustrate perhaps the most common way that businesses, particularly SMEs, that are expanding overseas um, will get tripped up initially. Uh, and this is quite common. Like we see this currency among the businesses that we start to work with who are, who are new to this. And this is often kind of one of the big question marks that they'll have. You know, they might have some understanding of I'm about to get hit with a whole bunch of new fees and I'm not really sure how to minimize it. And that's obviously something that we help to, to advise on. So if I go back to, you know, the example of a business that has an online store and they're selling in, in one country, let's say it's the UK, right? And that's what they've been doing for a number of years. And they decide, okay, we're going to go overseas. Uh, we're going to start selling in the North American market, right? So we'll sell in the US and Canada. Maybe they have something like a Shopify store or something. They have their own store. And so they make their product available to, to customers in those regions. And they'll speak to their payment gateway. Let's say, you know, they're using PayPal. And it's, it's very simple to extend your payment gateway capability to those countries so that now you can accept payments from customers there. That's easy to do. Uh, in fact, you know, the payment gateway will be more than happy to facilitate this because they're about to start making more money off you, basically. And the reason is if that's all you do and you just let it run that way, what's going to happen is you know, the payment gateway is going to process payments for you in the US in, in dollars. They're going to acquire those funds into your merchant account and you're going to agree with them typically on some sort of a withdrawal schedule. You know, maybe it's bi-weekly or once a month or maybe it's more frequent where uh, you withdraw the funds that accumulate in your merchant account uh, back to your home bank account so that you know, it becomes cash flow in the business and you can use it for other purposes. Now, what will happen is your payment gateway will do what we call a forced conversion. So on your behalf, they will convert dollars to pounds, and then they will remit those pounds back to the UK. And that'll be a TT. It'll be a wire transfer. It'll go through the correspondent bank system. So this is where suddenly your, your, your cost increases, right? In dealing with your payment gateway in the UK, you're aware that you're paying a payment processing fee, typically in the range of two and a half to 3%, plus a small transaction fee, something like 20 cents or 20p would be common. But now that you're selling in the US and in Canada, there's going to be that fee still exists, but there's some additional ones on top. So the forced conversion, they're doing this because they're going to send the money to the UK and they're not going to send dollars there. They're only going to send pounds. They'll do that conversion, that FX conversion for you. It's not going to be at a favorable rate. There will be a spread and there will be a commission. 
And they're going to do that because why wouldn't they, right? If you're allowing them to do this, the reason it's called a forced conversion, it's because you haven't set up an alternative. And then you're also going to get saddled with the cross-border transfer fees. So suddenly you can be in a position where, you know, your cost of sales just from a payment processing perspective was 3%, and now it's 6% or 7%. And for a lot of businesses that operate on relatively tight margins, that's really punitive, especially if you weren't expecting it. Fortunately, there is a very easy way around this, but you have to be aware of it, right? Obviously, as with any solution, you have to be aware of it to implement it. Um, but it, it's a relatively new solution that's really only emerged in not even the last decade. It's, it's really primarily the last like six, seven years. Um, and this is essentially to utilize platforms like ours, uh, which, which what we do is we do a number of things. But one of the things we do is we operate a worldwide network of virtual bank accounts. And that allows us to do something very powerful for our clients. What we would do in this, in this example is this merchant would open an account with us. We call it the global account. And we would give them, because they're operating their store now in the US and in Canada, we would give them virtual bank accounts in those two countries. And what they'll do now is they'll say to their payment gateway, when I withdraw my US sales, I would like you to put those funds into my US bank account. And same for the Canadian funds into my Canadian bank account. So now there's no forced conversion. What you're going to get is you're going to get US dollars into your US account and Canadian dollars into your Canadian account. There's going to be no cost. There's going to be no FX. And there's also not going to be any TT fees or correspondent bank fees. It's a local transfer. So it's free, right? You're also saving yourself time. You're not waiting two, three, four business days for that TT to arrive in the UK. Instead, it's arriving in your virtual bank account with currency, usually same day, right? Because it's, it's, it's on the domestic settlement system. And the amount that you're withdrawing from your payment gateway is the amount that you're going to get because you're not going to have taken a haircut at any point. So it's faster and it's cheaper. And then the kind of the beautiful thing about this is because this money is now electronic money, it exists in a virtual network and it exists in a multi-currency digital wallet. You don't have the issue of having, say, just pounds in an account in the UK, but you're an international business. You know, you're now, you're now selling in the US and Canada, and you also have a supplier in China that you work with, and you have a supplier in Vietnam that you work with, let's say, like this is really common today. Virtually every e-commerce business has this. Um, so now you're not also worried about uh, occasionally buying renminbi and Vietnamese dong from Barclays UK or wherever it is at like not a particularly great rate, and then sending that to your supplier in those countries. The benefit of these virtual bank account networks that we have now is it's great for payment acceptance, for getting funds in. It's also great for getting funds out. So you can do a conversion on the platform itself. You can sell some of your dollars, for example, and buy RMB, and you'll get it at the mid-market rate. There's no spread. It's all completely transparent because companies like Currency, we're actually plugged into the wholesale FX market. We are an FX dealer, and we're dealing directly with you. And we're giving you the interbank rate. And yes, you're paying us a commission, but it's, it's all kind of upfront. So you can do that conversion on our platform. And then you can say, you know, I want to send my, my newly acquired renminbi to my supplier in China. And we'll execute that through our network. So your supplier isn't waiting two, three, four days for the payment because it's not going through the correspondent bank system. We will send it from our accounts uh, in Hong Kong and China. So it's, it's, it's rapid. So this is how you can now kind of move into new markets from a financial perspective as a seller without the punitive sort of costs that you would have previously encountered both from a like the fees, but also the, the time deficit that you would encounter. 
now all of your payments on a global basis are all happening essentially in real time at a market rate. So this has been a very powerful, largely technology-driven advancement that has come out in the last few years. And of course, as a result of that, we're still kind of in this stage where we're educating the market to a certain extent that, that this exists, but awareness of this is certainly increasing at a rapid rate. What are the main barriers that you're hearing from companies as to why they wouldn't adopt this? I mean, virtual banks, I think, safety, is that money safe? Yeah, that is, you, you do hear that concern. Of course, you know, businesses will reasonably enough, I think, want to understand how you're regulated for one thing. You know, with services like ours, it's, it's always important to understand that we're not banks. And that is a common misconception, actually, that we are a bank. That's not what we are. We're, we're a payments company, a payments platform. And there's, I suppose, advantages and disadvantages to that, depending on how you approach it and what you want it to do for you. Because we're not a bank, uh, we're not lending with your funds. Your funds are actually present in the account you hold with us. We don't, we don't lend and we don't do anything with your money. Your money sits in tier one international banks around the world and you have access to it whenever you want. On the other hand, we're not a deposit-taking institution. So deposits are not under various national bank deposit insurance schemes, but nor should you be depositing large sums of money with us anyway, because as I said, we're not a bank, we offer a transactional account. So if you're using the platform appropriately, there is no risk, actually, um, because as I said, it's a transactional account and, and all, of the, all of the funds in the account are present, so to speak. It's not merely a ledger reflecting the fact that the bank owes you this much money. The money's actually in there. It's your money. We haven't lent it out to anybody. Um, so from that perspective, it's, it's very low risk. But yeah, anything new is going to, I think, attract questions, particularly when it has to do with finances. And, and so it should, right? I think things should be challenged in this space. You've spoken about how you can reach new markets affordably, but I want you to, to walk me through the process of doing so and the mistakes that you often see. You mentioned one mistake but that businesses make along this journey and, and how they can fix them. Yeah, you know, I, I don't even want to really say mistakes. It's just more a matter of, of education and awareness, right? And every business is going to pick up these things along the way. A lot of it is, is really what I, what I touched on already. And so I, I suppose the biggest thing would be for a business to suddenly expand into multiple markets, which is easier than ever before, right? Like if you're, say, a merchant that sells on Amazon, Amazon makes it incredibly easy for you to sell in almost as many countries as you want. Whether or not you have figured out your sort of financial plumbing for your business to maintain your profitability is not really their concern, right? They'll make it easy for you to sell to customers in another market. And so that makes it very tempting to do so because for any business, obviously growth is one of their primary objectives. And one of the easiest ways to grow is to increase the size of your addressable market. More potential customers for your product can only be a good thing. Surely. Well, that really depends on whether or not that growth is happening in a sustainable manner. Is the growth in top line revenue being exceeded in the growth of your cost of sales? That's something that we see people being tripped up on is, you know, they focus on, I'll make this many sales. It'll be great. This is how much revenue it'll bring in. And they don't necessarily work it all the way back to say, well, actually, I'm actually going to have like a really significant increase in my cost of sales as well. But, you know, as I said, it, it's actually relatively easy to mitigate against this now, simply making sure that I think number one is you need local payment 
collection facilities in every market that you intend to sell in. Um, and that's how you avoid that forced conversion that I mentioned, uh, as well as all the wire transfer fees. So anytime you're planning on, on selling in a new market, that's something that you need to think is, how am I going to receive funds and probably disperse funds also in that market using, using a local facility, essentially a local bank account. Now, to actually you know, open corporate bank accounts in say 10 countries, is it's not realistic. Only the largest multinationals can do that. It's not only extremely costly, uh, minimum deposits for every account, assurances, you likely need a locally registered entity there, uh, directors will need to fly over and, and meet with the bank and all that. It, it's, it's a nightmare, especially for an SME. It's just, you can't do that. But these days you can avail of these virtual, virtual bank accounts that allow you to effectively pay and be paid in any given market as though you were locally present. And so that's really how you ensure that if you're using a platform like Amazon to expand internationally, you, you need to make sure you're pairing it with other platforms that are designed to help you expand internationally. And that would be one like ours, like currencies. And we work with Amazon, actually, we're, we're part of their payment service provider programs. We work with a lot of their merchants around the world on exactly this issue, ensuring that when those merchants start selling in a new market, that they're doing it in a sustainable manner where they're protecting their margins by not getting hit by a whole bunch of additional fees on the financial management side. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Sam Coyne, Chief Marketing Officer at Currency. And if you're an e-seller who'd like to reduce cross-border costs, you can download Currency's e-commerce guide on the future of international commerce at currency.com forward slash e-commerce. Until next time.